0: So we are in Matthew chapter 21, this Palm Sunday, and we've titled today's message, The King is Coming. Can you go ahead and tell your person next to you, your neighbor, the King is Coming? The King is Coming. And the reason why we titled it, because that's exactly what it says in our text. The King is Coming. And if we study Passion Week, we're going back now 2,000 plus years ago, to Palm Sunday when the Jewish people were celebrating the Passover feast. And during this time, you had about 2 million Jews in Jerusalem migrating from Egypt, from Asia Minor, from different parts of the world to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And we call it now the Passion Week because of the strong emotion the intense suffering that Jesus had to go through all for love for you and for me. A lot of times we've heard about this now Palm Sunday message We also the triumphant entry. The word triumphant is now giving reference to victory, the victorious entry. It's amazing here because Jesus comes In the now form of a servant to take victory. Now he's on his way to victory over sin and over death. He's going to the cross specifically to go and get victory for you and for me. And he, we see here, becomes the ultimate sacrifice. Here we see that he becomes the ultimate deliverance. The Passover, as they celebrate it, was from the Old Testament. When the nation of Israel was in Egypt, and the angel of the Lord was to go in the houses, and the first now born of those homes would be now taken or killed now of the Egyptians, unless now... They had sacrificed the lamb and they had put the blood on the side of the doorpost or on the top of the doorpost, signifying a sacrifice for their sins, a covering. And now the angel would pass over now that house and they would be covered. How many of you guys are grateful today that Jesus became the permanent Passover for us? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Can we praise him for that? That we no longer have to sacrifice the lamb. He became the permanent, now Passover. You know what that means? That your pain, that your past, that your sins, that your shame, that your guilt, all of it, He passes over it. He completely covers it with His blood. And He says, your debt has been paid in full. He took your place. And He paid your debt. He became the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate deliverance. I remember about what John said in John, I mean, John the Baptist said in John 1.29, where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And because of the ultimate Passover, because of the ultimate now sacrifice, and because of the Lamb of God, because of his blood and his love and his obedience now that served to cover our sins, now we are able to stand before him forgiven isn't that amazing in hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 it tells us that according to the law almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins there had to be a sacrifice so that there can be forgiveness of sins so jesus came as everybody was bringing their lambs into jerusalem as the lamb of god the perfect lamb of god with no spot or blemish To lay down and surrender and turn himself in to the cross. So that me and you can have forgiveness of our sins. And now we learn today that the pathway to victory. To that triumphant entry. The pathway to that victory was and is humility. I want you to take note of that. If you like jotting down notes. That the pathway to victory is humility. And we're going to see that here in this text that Jesus paved the way to the cross. He paved the way on that donkey to the cross and he was an example of obedience. He was an example of surrender. Think about what was Jesus going to do after the cross and after the grave and after all of that? He was going to go to heaven. But before he went to heaven, he had to go to the the cross. Before he went to heaven, he had to go through the cross. Before he went to heaven, he had to go through the resurrection, through death and through the sins of the world. And so likewise us, before we can go to heaven, we have to go to the cross for surrender, and we have to go through the cross in obedience, knowing that that's where we have our salvation, in the cross of Jesus. And there we can have forgiveness of our sins, there we can have repentance, there we can have restoration. And here is the Sunday, here is the first day of the week that would take place and the most important week of human history, because this week affects eternity, because it was for this week that it changed the destiny of your life. And it says here in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, and they drew now near Jerusalem and they came here to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent his two disciples saying to them, go into Jerusalem. "...the village opposite of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately He will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey." a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, because over 2,000 years ago, You went into Jerusalem with one purpose, with one vision. You went to now pave the way to victory. You ain't to teach us, Lord, that surrender, that humility, that obedience is the pathway to victory into the cross. And we thank You because of The events that took place in the week that we are about to study are the ones that changed the course of our destiny. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and together we said, Amen. Amen. It said here now, when they drew near to Jerusalem. This is interesting here because at this point now, before this point, Jesus would heal people and He would say, don't tell anyone that I healed you. Don't tell anyone that I was the Messiah. Jesus would tell His brothers and the disciples that He was the Messiah and His brothers would challenge Him in unbelief. Well, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you go to Jerusalem into the temple and now publicly now declare that you are the Messiah. And every single time that Jesus would do that, they would say, he, Jesus would say, no, it is not God or the Father's timing. But now in this specific day, it becomes the Father's timing. You see, Jesus the Son was all about God's timing. Perfect timing. And I want you to know that today that God has a perfect time for everything. God has a perfect time for everything. A specific time for every single thing in your life. And maybe you're waiting for something. Well, God has specific time for that thing that you're waiting for. Because here now, when they drew near Jerusalem, Jesus is going here with the purpose of knowing that it is time for Him to declare that He is the Messiah publicly. And it is time for him also to go to the cross. But he gives specific instructions now to his disciples. And it says in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus sent two disciples. I love that Jesus always sends them by two. Isn't that amazing? We notice that Jesus always sends them by two because he's always determined and God is always about us doing and serving and doing life and, and our Christian walk together. We are better together. He sends them for accountability. He sends them for encouragement. He sends them for strength now. But He sends two together. And He said, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you. I want you to go into now the village opposite of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Now this has to sound like the most ridiculous now instructions and details that Jesus has ever given His disciples. Just imagine, over 2 million people in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, go into Jerusalem, and you're going to find a donkey. And the donkey's going to have a little colt, which is a baby donkey that has been unridden. And you're going to find them immediately, and then loose them, and bring them to me. You would almost think, Jesus, you're telling me to steal a donkey. (laughs) No, Jesus was not saying that. This was all ordained by God, it was all orchestrated by God. And he telling him, I want you to go to that donkey, and I want you to loose the donkey and the little colt, now the baby donkey, and I want you to bring them to Me. Now understand what go- happens next. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And I want you to underline, the Lord has need of them. Because the Lord had need of these donkeys. The Lord had need of this little colt. The Lord had need of it. The Lord has need of it. And immediately... Who's he? The owner of the donkey will send them. Now it's interesting to know this because that day the donkey became a instrument. That day the donkey became a means of transportation for Jesus. That day a simple baby donkey became the vehicle to take Jesus into the city. And it's interesting here that we read this because it says the Lord needs the donkey. The Lord wants to use the donkey. And that's it. That's all I'm going to give you. Those are the only instructions that I'm going to give you. Now the disciples go and it says, you know what? That's all he gave us. Then we're going to obey, even if it doesn't make sense. I'm going to obey the Lord. You see, God sometimes calls you to go out and do, and gives you instructions because He wants to use you, and He wants to use now the resources that are in your hands, right? And, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, and He immediately sends them. But it's interesting because when you obey God, even when it doesn't make sense, He shows you that He has a plan and He has resources that you don't even know about. They didn't know what God was going to do with these donkeys. And it says when the owner knows of it, He says when if he asks for anything, He says the Lord has need of it and, and He's going to go in and send the donkey with you. Now it's interesting here because you see how the owner now is so willing to give up something that's going to take Jesus into the city. Now whether it's your time, now whether it's your treasures, whether it's your talent, whether it's your resources, we ought to be willing to give them up to, take, to use them as a source, as a resource, as a means to take Jesus into the city. You would ask yourself, well, what, what, what? I don't have a donkey, but you have time. You have treasures. You have talent. You have different things and gifts and abilities that God has given you that He can use to now use them to now take his son into the different places of where you go. Just imagine if God says, you know what, I have need of your time. Are you going to say, no, this is my time. No, just go ahead and lose their time and give it to Jesus. Oh, the Lord has need of your resources. Oh, Lord, I'm not going to lose my resources and give them to you. Well, the Lord wants to use your resources as a means and a vehicle to take Jesus into Jerusalem. Oh, the Lord has need now of your gifts. Oh, Lord, I can't give you my gifts. Well, the Lord wants to use your gifts and he wants you to loose them and give them to him as a means to take Jesus into the city. What is it that God is saying, I have need of it? If God went up to you today and says, you know what? I have need of that. Are you willing to loose it and give it to Jesus so that Jesus can use it to take himself into the city? Are you going to say, Lord, I'm not willing to give you that? I'm not willing to lose that and give it to you, your servants. I'm not willing to give up my time. I'm not willing to give up my finances, my resources, or my gifts so that you can be glorified. Now, he's going to use these simple donkeys. I love what Warren Worsby says. He says, ministry takes place when divine resources, in this specific now scenario, there were the donkeys, and when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. What, is, what a gift is it that God has given you? What ability or talent that God has given you that He wants you to lose? And He wants you to give it to Him. So that those divine resources can meet the human needs of the body of Christ. Through the loving channels that are here to, today. The loving channels. And it's all for the glory of God. It's interesting here as we read the story. Because now this owner gives these donkeys up so that Jesus can ride them into the city. Are you willing to lose the things that say, the Lord is saying, I have need of that? Maybe He's knocking and tugging at your heart right now saying, I have need of your time. I have need of your gifts. I have need of your resources. Give them to me because I need to use them to go into the workplace, into the city, into the household, into the neighborhood, into the community. Now it says in verse 4, All this was done. And it was done very specific. It was done at these very details. That it might be fulfilled. Or that it might be completed. That it would be just like it was spoken by the prophet saying. Now in verse 4 it tells us a specific now situation. This happened in now Palm Sunday. On this day with the donkey. So that the scriptures can be fulfilled. It wasn't just because Jesus said, You know what, I I feel like riding some donkeys today. It was because Jesus was now surrendering to the scriptures. Because in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, which is quoted here in Matthew 21, which was written 500 years before Jesus came. It was written 500 years before Jesus came, this prophecy. Jesus is now fulfilling this prophecy. What is the prophecy? Verse 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, or Jerusalem, tell Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming, Jerusalem. Tell Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming. He's lowly or he's humble. He's sitting on a donkey, a colt, a baby donkey, the fowl of a donkey. You see, this was Zechariah's prophecy. Over 500 years before Jesus came to this earth, it was written and Jesus was surrendering now to the Scriptures. Did you know that over 20% of the Bible is prophetic? Over 20% of what we read in the Bible is prophetic. That means one out of every four verses include prophecy. Why is prophecy so important, you would ask yourself? Well, prophecy is important because it tells us that this event wasn't an accident. Prophecy is important because it tells us that this event wasn't a coincidence. And prophecy is important because it tells us that we can trust the Bible and that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was now fulfilling every prophecy that He needed to fulfill in order now to declare Himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. The one that they were waiting for through the scriptures of the Old Testament. And it was over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that we can trust that He is the Messiah. Over 300 prophecies prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in Scripture that we can trust, that Jesus said, you know, He checked the mark off of there. He checked the mark off of there in the prophecies over 300 times in prophecy. He did it. There is no doubt. It's undeniable. Jesus was the Messiah and He is the Messiah. There was now a professor at Westmont University, a mathematician, that wanted to calculate what are the odds now of one person in one single lifetime fulfilling only eight prophecies. One person fulfilling eight prophecies in their lifetime. He said that the odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies in one lifetime is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. I would say the number, but I just don't know how to say it. Because the number is so big. Now just imagine, that is only eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies that would say that He was the coming Messiah, and that we can trust that He's coming in the donkey, on the donkey, for this reason. It says here, tell your daughter of Zion, verse 5, your King is coming. Do you know that today that your King is coming? Did you know that your King's already come once? And that your King is coming again? It says in verse 5, Your king is coming lowly, sitting on a donkey here, a cold, a fowl of a donkey. The New Living Translation reads this verse and it says, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look! Zechariah 9.9, 9, 500 years before, says, Your king is coming. He's humble. When you think about a king, do you think about somebody being humble? No, you think about somebody coming in chariots of horses to declare war and saying, I'm going to establish my kingdom today. But he's saying, No, your king is going to come a different way. He's coming, he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. You see, what was the donkey symbolic of? The donkey was symbolic of peace. When a king would come into a city, and if he came in a white horse, that was symbolic of a conquering king that he was saying, I'm establishing my kingdom here, I'm taking over. That was the white horse entry. But Jesus came on a donkey symbolic of something else. It was symbolic of peace. Isn't it interesting that Jesus came symbolic of peace, sitting on a donkey? Why was Jesus coming symbolic of peace? Because that's what He was establishing, peace. Peace between you and God through the sacrifice that He was about to do. He came to do it humbly. He came to do it as a servant. He came to do it so He can establish peace between you and the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled Himself and became obedient. Jesus here on Palm Sunday is being obedient. Are you today on Palm Sunday being obedient to what God's called you to do? Because He was being obedient. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled Himself and became obedient. Why is that so important? Because humility is the pathway to victory. Humility is the way to the cross. Humility is the way to the cross. Jesus is coming here to display here now himself as a servant king to save them spiritually. And he's going to come again, a second coming, as a conquering king to judge. But are you going to be ready for that second coming of Jesus? You see, he came one time. And when the first time that he came, he came for peace, to establish peace between you and the Father. And when he comes to Canada, he's going to come and we're going to be with him, coming, riding on those white horses. Revelation chapter 9 tells us, ready to rule and to reign and to judge this world and Satan. That's how he came the first time in peace. And the next time he comes, he's going to come to rule. In verse 6, it says here, so the disciples went. I love this. Jesus says, go. So the disciples went. <laughs> Has God ever told you to do something and you didn't go? Well, Lord, I'll do it another day. Lord, I just don't really feel like going to get donkeys today, so why don't you send someone else? (laughs) Lord, I I don't think this is a good assignment for me. Can you ask somebody that maybe has experience, that's more qualified? No, Jesus said, so the disciples went. And in verse 6, it said they obeyed and they did as Jesus commanded them. Today, have you done as Jesus has commanded you? Is God maybe speaking to your heart recently or lately and telling you, you know what, I've told you to do something. I'm I'm telling you to loose that because I need it. I'm telling you to give that up because I want to use your life. I I need that as a divine resource so that it can meet the human needs through you, a loving channel for the glory of God. And I want to use that to take now my son Jesus into that community, into that city. And as Jesus said they did, they did as he commanded. And look what happens now. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded and they brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and set him on him. So now what do they do? They set their clothes on the donkey. They put Jesus on the donkey, verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Now what is happening here, I want you to understand, we've seen it in the movies. Maybe you remember it growing up in Sunday school as well. But what they're doing is they're laying out their clothes and they're putting out palm branches and... They're now accepting Jesus as king. They're giving him the royal reception, the red carpet greeting for a king. You see, when you laid out your clothes on the road, and you came and you brought palm branches, it was signifying that a true king was going to pass by now that road, and when you laid out your clothes, you were saying, this is a sign of surrender to that king. When you laid out your clothes, this was a sign of surrender to that king. Today, this Palm Sunday, have you laid out your clothes to the one true King? They're saying, Lord, here is now my garments. Here is my life. You are the King, and I am surrendering to you. You are the King, and I am being obedient to you. You are the King, and I am submitting to you. I don't want to just stand on the sidelines. I want to fully submit to you as the Lord and the King of my life. Have you done that today on this Palm Sunday? Because they start to do that and they accept Him as. A king. But you see that their perspective is a little different. Because in verse 9, it tells us that they start to do something now. It says here, they others cut palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road, signifying the surrender and the submission that we mentioned. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Now they're about to sing. And what they're about to sing is something also that was a messianic prophecy. That was a psalm or a song that was sung by David in Psalms 118. That was to now speak about the coming Messiah. They were singing something spiritual. And it said this, this song. Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're singing Psalms 118. Hosanna, son of David, blessed are you, he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna, we know it, we study it, that it means now, here, save now. Hosanna means save now. And it was a psalm of deliverance. It was a messianic psalm of deliverance. This is a psalm that they were singing at the time now as a deliverance that they thought that they were going to have. But deliverance that it speaks about in Psalms 118 is a deliverance and a salvation of sins. It's a spiritual deliverance. It's not a physical deliverance. It's a spiritual deliverance. And they start to give him now this psalm. And they're saying, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Give us deliverance. Save us now. Why were the Jews crying that out? Because at the time, the Jewish now nation did were experiencing and they were under the bondage and the oppression of Rome. And they said, Jesus, if you are the king like you said you are, then you are going to establish your kingdom now. You're going to give us what we want now and the Roman oppression is going to leave now. And we are going to have and be able to rule on ourselves. And we no longer are going to be under the bondage of Rome. And they thought that they were now establishing a physical earthly kingdom, something that was temporal. You see, what are you looking to Jesus for? Are you looking for Jesus, for something that's so temporal, or are you going to Him for the deliverance that you really need, which is deliverance from your sins? These people thought they were going to get salvation, salvation from now Rome, instead of salvation from their sins. And they were seeing something spiritual, but they were thinking and desiring something temporal. Have you ever done that before? Maybe, Lord, I pray that you would fill me. But in in fact, all the things that you're asking for the Lord to fill you with are temporal things. And they're not spiritual things. They wanted something instant. They want, Lord, if you really are the king, then establish your kingdom now. They wanted something instant versus wanting something everlasting. And they started to ask for all the wrong things. They were misguided now. They thought that he was going to, they had the hope that he was going to overthrow the Roman oppression and guess what happens here? When they didn't get what they wanted. Because in a few days they realized Jesus didn't come for that. He's actually not going to deliver us from Rome. Oh, he's actually not going to establish his kingdom. And when they didn't get what they wanted, they get they went from Hosanna to crucify him. Has that ever been us? Where we ask the Lord, Lord, give it to me right now, Lord, I'm so faithful, I'm surrendering, I'm submitting, here are my clothes, here are the palm branches, I'm I'm demonstrating to you that you are the king. But as soon as you don't get what you want, you go from Hosanna to crucify him and you turn your back on him. You're no longer excited about Jesus. You see, the Jewish people here, they missed the visit and the purpose of Jesus that day. They failed to discern it. They failed to know why Jesus was coming here. The day of visitation, they missed the Messiah that they were waiting for when He arrived. Have you ever waited for something at home and you're just waiting in expectancy for it? But maybe you get preoccupied and you get busy and you miss that which you were waiting for with such high expectancy. When the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah through Scripture, through prophecy, and they had every sign to lead them to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But in fact, they still missed what they were waiting for all along. Luke, in his account of this story, says that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that Jesus started to cry. He started to weep. He was broken now. When He saw Jerusalem and He noticed that they did not recognize Him as their Messiah and as their Savior, that they were blinded to that. It says in Luke 19, verse 41, Now as He drew near that he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace. Jesus is saying, if you would have known that I am here and bring in spiritual peace instead of just the physical peace that you're looking for, but now they're hidden from your eyes for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you in one stone upon another. There's going to be a destruction in Jerusalem, he's saying here, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Today, God wants to visit you. Jesus is visiting you now. The Father decided to visit now us through sending the Son and He's riding into Jerusalem to visit you. And Jesus starts to cry now, it says. Because they did not notice the day of their visitation. They didn't notice that Jesus was visiting them. He says, how come you don't know this day, even you? He's holding them accountable to the truth. In Daniel chapter 9, it said that Jesus would come on that very exact day riding on a donkey now. And they missed the day of their visitation. I pray that today you don't miss the day of your visitation. That today you don't miss it. That you're not here on a coincidence. That you're not here by chance. You're not here just another Sunday. You're not here because somebody dragged you to church. You're here because maybe today is the day of your visitation. Where Jesus is saying, I want to be your spiritual king of your life. Your king is coming. You can say he's your king, but do you act like he's your king? Do you live like he's your king? Do you surrender to him like he's your king? And he's broken, Jesus, now, because they did not accept him. They did not receive him when he came to them. Now, in verse 10, it says here of Matthew 21, when he had come into Jerusalem, notice this. Jesus now is in Jerusalem now. And we can see what's about to take place when he had come into Jerusalem. All the city was moved, saying, who is this? That word moved, if we study that word moved, it means that the, the, the city was shaken up. The city was shaken up when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Jesus came into Jerusalem, and now the city was shaken up. Isn't that what happens when Jesus comes in? There's an uproar. He causes the attention of others. Isn't it that so interesting that when we ask, and we know, and we see that Jesus comes into our life, He shakes things up sometimes? That people and things are moved? Maybe when Jesus comes into the Jerusalem of your life lately, He has shaken some people out of your life. Maybe He has shaken some things out of your life. Because that's what Jesus does when He comes in. He shakes things up when He comes into the Jerusalem of your life. And He wants to do that. I love that Jesus does that. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He goes in and He starts to shake things up out of your life. It's interesting. When you give your life to the Lord, you start to wonder like, why is it that now I started to serve the Lord and I, I told him to come into my life and all these things are happening that are, that are going wrong. These were things weren't taking place before. Jesus is shaking things up. He needs to shake things out of that your life. He needs to maybe move things out. He needs to maybe rearrange the house. Rearrange now and clean up now what's been taking place. And they start to ask him, who is this? People wonder, who is this Jesus? But it says in verse 11, So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They didn't see Him as a savior. They saw Him as a prophet. What title do you give Jesus today? Do you think He's just a prophet, a Messiah, a good teacher? What is He? What is He for you? What is He to you? What is Jesus of Nazareth? Because your real need from Jesus is not for Him to save you from your circumstance. Your real need from Jesus is not for him to save you from your situation. Your real need from Jesus is that he would save you from your sins. And sometimes we ask the Lord, Lord, take me out of this situation. And he's saying, Lord, I want to, he's saying, no, I want to clean your life up. That's why I'm allowing this situation. I'm allowing you to go through this because your real need is actually forgiveness. Your real need is restoration. Your real need is eternal hope. Your real need is everlasting life. Your real need is the relationship that you have with Him. And it says now in verse 12, Then Jesus went into the temple. What did Jesus do? He goes straight into Jerusalem, goes into the temple, He goes right to church. Jesus loved church. It's said that so many times in the gospel that He did spend a lot of time outside of church. But He also spent a lot of time in church. And He goes to church to do one thing. He goes to church to do the thing that He's already done before he goes into the temple to do something that Jesus does on an ongoing basis in Scripture. In the beginning of John's Gospel, it tells us that Jesus went He created a whip. And He started to drive out people that were selling on, palm, you know, on this specific day. And that they were ripping people off. And merchants and business owners. And He drives them away in the beginning of His ministry in the Gospel of John. At the end of His ministry in Matthew, it says that He does it again. But let's read the story... So we can understand what's taking place. Because this is the righteous Jesus. This is the radical Jesus that we need to know about as well. This is the Jesus that is filled with, with righteous anger and justice. Because it says in verse 12, Jesus went into the temple of God and He drove out, underline drove out, all those who bought and sold them in the temple. And He overturned, underline overturned, the tables of the money changers of the seats of those who sold jobs. During the Passover, they would come, people from all over the world, and bring their little lamb. It was noted that in the Jewish culture, that it was one lamb per ten people. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, you would buy two turtle doves because they were cheaper. And if your family was poor, then that's what you would offer. But now the religious leaders, what they would do is they would say, you know what? Your lamb or your doves, they don't qualify as a sacrifice because they have some type of blemish or deformity. You can't offer that to God, as scripture would say. And they would say, but wait a minute, we have something right here. We have other animals that you can purchase off of us. And they would mark up the prices and they would rip people off to make money or profit. And now Jesus has already done this, but he goes in in verse 12 and he drives out. And he overturns because judgment comes first to the house of God. You know what he does here? He goes and he drives out everything that didn't belong. And he overturns everything that was corrupted. All the money changers, all the religious leaders, all the hypocrisy, all those people that were marking up the prices. He moves into action because Jesus does not share space with sin. We think, Jesus, we want you to come into the temple in the Jerusalem of my heart. But I still want to have these tables set up. And I still want to have this little bit of hypocrisy taking place in this area. No, Jesus wants to go to the place of your life and just overturn those tables. And he wants to drive out that which doesn't belong in your heart. Because he's serious about sin. He's confrontational. He's so courageous. He is righteous when it comes now to these things. And he is being so radical now. Why? Because Jesus hates deception. And he hates hypocrisy. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, it says that dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. God hates dishonest scales. When we are being dishonest, we're trying to rip people off. God hates dishonest scales. They're an abomination to the Lord. But just weights are His delights. These people were using the temple for selfish motives and gain, for an ulterior motive. And Jesus comes in and says, "Stop using the temple for something that it's not for, intended for." for something that it's not intended for now we mentioned that Jesus already did this in John in the beginning of his ministry why does he come again at the end of the ministry and do it again because he's willing to do it again in your life isn't this is an ongoing process Jesus constantly has to come into your house into your life into the space of your heart and say i need to overturn that I need to drive that out. I don't like that. I don't like this. And he's willing to do this on an ongoing basis. He doesn't just do it one time. The work of the Spirit is always cleansing your life to drive out and to overturn something that's not supposed to be there. Ask yourself today, what is in my life that's not supposed to be here? That's defiling the temple because the temple is supposed to be holy. That's compromising the integrity of the temple. What is it that Jesus needs to overturn What is it that Jesus needs to drive out so that I can be pure and I can be holy? God wants you to be pure and holy and and he needs to come and and drive out and overturn Then so be it. A lot of times we say, what would Jesus do, right? We notice it. What would Jesus do? But also ask yourself, what would Jesus undo? (laughs) What would Jesus drive out? What does he need to overturn? What do I need to surrender? What do I need to relinquish? What do I need to drive out from my life? Now Jesus, what does He do? He backs it up with Scripture. He doesn't just go out and do something emotional because He doesn't like what's taking place. He backs it up with Scripture. And it says this now on verse 13. And He said to them, It is written. He's quoting now from Isaiah. He's backing up what He's doing through Scripture. He's not just making this stuff up. He's not moving emotionally. He says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. This is amazing here. But you have made it into a den of thieves. What does he tell them that Palm Sunday? He goes into the... He rides in there. He weeps over Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He uh, t- uh, turns the tables upside down, overturns, and he drives out the sin. And then he backs it up with the word. And he says, My house is a house of prayer. That's what the house of God is. In Isaiah 56 verse 7 it says. And he uses the word of God because that's the, what would dictate the authority in the temple. It's not a house of merchants. The house of God is not a house of just fellowship. It's not just a house of eating. It's not a house of just worship or a house of just Bible study. The house of God is a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. What does that mean? God in His Word and His Son through His Word called the temple the house of prayer. Why did He call it a house of prayer, not a house of something else? Because God's desire is that His people would come to His house and pray. You see, that's the number one thing that we need. And I pray that you would understand that this Palm Sunday. That His house is a house of prayer. And we ought to not make His house something that it's not. Maybe even your own life, making it something that it's not. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone defiles the temple of God. God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. God has designed you to be holy. And he's saying here. Do you not know that you are the temple of God. And you are to be the house of prayer. And now instead you've turned it into the hideout. Or to the den of thieves. But interesting. What's happening here next. Because it says in verse 14. As we close. Then. It doesn't say before, it says then. After He did this. After He cleaned up the house, then the blind, the lame, came to Him in the temple and He healed them. You see, it was the money changers. It was the religious leaders that were occupying and taking up the space. It was the sin that was occupying and taking up the space for those that needed Jesus to come in. And it said now that then they came. Who came? Those that had needs. But first he had to cleanse so that then he can restore. And I pray that today we would welcome the Lord. Lord, if you have to cleanse today on Palm Sunday, if you have to cleanse my life, the house, the space, the Jerusalem of my life, if you have to cleanse it so that you can heal me because maybe I'm spiritually blind, because maybe I'm spiritually lame. What spiritually lame means? You're just dragging your feet spiritually. That you may be taking a spiritual vacation from God. And you ask the Lord, Lord, cleanse, Lord heal me, Lord restore. But the, before the Lord heals and restores, He wants to cleanse the house so that He can restore the house. And today the Lord wants to cleanse the house before He can restore the house. Then He can work. Why? Because His first purpose as He went into Jerusalem was to deal with sin. Jesus went to Jerusalem to deal with sin in the temple. So that he can surrender his life and deal with sin at the cross. So that as he deals with sin, he can also meet your spiritual need of now healing from pain. Healing from your past. Healing from grief. Healing from anguish. So that he can restore. But first he went to deal with sin. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you on this Palm Sunday, Lord. As we know, Lord, that you've come today. Today, a day of visitation, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would deal with the sin in our lives. That you would deal with anything in our lives that you need to overturn. That you would deal with anything in our lives, Lord, that you need to, God, now drive out. Drive it out, Lord, if you don't like it. Overturn it, Lord, if it doesn't honor you. We don't want to make your house. We don't want to make our lives something that it's not. Lord, you've intended it for it to be holy and for it to be pure. And today, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would cleanse so that you can restore. We can't have restoration without cleansing. We need you to come and deal with the sin, Lord. We thank you because you are our permanent Passover. It was because of the now pathway to victory, humility, because of your obedience, because of your love, that you rode on that donkey that day, Lord, fully knowing what was going to happen. You fully understood what was going to take place. And these people were so blind, Lord. They were only excited about you when they thought that they were going to get something out of it. And it's sad, Lord, we repent today. We confess that sometimes we're only excited about Jesus when we get what we want. We're excited about Jesus when we get the financial blessing. When we get the promotion. When everything is going good and we're excited about Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would, we would be excited about who you are because of, because of what you've done in our lives, not because of what we're going to get. We ask so that you would deal with that sin issue, Lord. Deal with sin in our lives. Overturn. Drive out. Overturn. Drive out. There's some of us here today that are expecting now restoration that are waiting for healing and maybe the healing and the restoration is taking a long time maybe the pain and the healing is taking a long time but what's delaying it is that we're unwilling to loose. we're unwilling to give up we're unwilling to let the lord drive out and overturn lord give us the strength today